This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. Oh, Vice Presidential conversations are always so interesting. I, I think that they better pick someone who reflects and speaks to the base. Yeah. Someone younger, I would say, I would almost say is required given, you know, yes. their There's age. not too many other options the other way. <laughs> yeah. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez. This is kind of a special crossing division, and here's what it's called. This is the post-presidential primary podcast plus pandemic. You really pop those peas. We have it all. <laughs> so today, this is very exciting. We have Crystal Fincher and Eric Hanberg in the studio with me. Crystal, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you. Happy to be here. So I'm a political consultant who works with mostly Democratic candidates and progressive causes. I also have a radio show on KVRU 105.7 FM called Hacks and Wonks. Excellent. And uh, yeah, just working on campaigns and, and trying to move things forward in the area. Very good. Eric, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I've been on the Metro Parks Board of Tacoma for the last 10 years, and I'm also the publisher of Channel 253 and have the We Art Tacoma podcast. Very nice. So let's talk this presidential primary. I looked at the numbers. We know they're not final, but they're darn close between um, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. At the Secretary of State's office, the number this morning was... 333,414 for Joe Biden, 335,498 for Bernie Sanders. What does that mean, Crystal? It means that the race is very close and that we won't know who the actual winner is for a few days, Mm -hmm. like the normal drill here is for elections. But what we do know is that the presidential primary is not one with votes. It's one with delegates. Ah. And so Joe Biden has a significant delegate lead right now. And so what Bernie Sanders needs is to win, not just by a small margin, but by large margins, because those delegates are awarded proportionally. So he needs big victories in order to make up ground um, in the delegate race to have a shot at the nomination. And so what we do know is that no matter what happens, this is going to end up being a close race, meaning that Bernie Sanders is not going to win, wind up with that big delegate lead mm-hmm. to cut into that, to, to cut into Joe Biden's chunk that he has leading right now. So it doesn't do anything good for Sanders. Here. Right. Right. And what did you make of it, Eric? You know, I, I would definitely share that assessment. I also think it's interesting to think about, you know, the last time I was on this podcast in November when we talked about, like, local races, there's a tendency for the younger people to vote later, mm-hmm. in which case it usually skews by a couple percentage points sometimes at least to a more liberal demographic. And I don't think you can say that the same thing's going to happen here because at the same time, while you might have that trend, you also have the trend of people holding off on their ballots. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there were... Uh, like 12% of the vote was for uh, Bloomberg, 9% mm-hmm. something for for Warren. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, clearly lots of very early votes. Um, and so there's a lot of people who held off. And so I, thi- I think what I read was that people who voted late in the exit polls did go for Biden, um, in which case you're going to actually see – Biden pull ahead in the state if if it's those people. So, but at the same time, that might be countervailed by the by the by the the, the more liberal the people liberal voting later. So it's 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 it made it stand up very similarly. Yeah. But but as Crystal said, it doesn't matter in the sense of like this might have been the last interesting primary uh, in the Democratic race this year because if it keeps going yeah. like this, that's that's just how it's going to be. Yeah. Where yeah. do th- where do things go from here, Crystal? Well, Bernie Sanders has said that he intends to stay in the race for now and participate in the debates that are upcoming against Joe Biden. So he's going to continue to run. But I think, um, you know, we were talking before and you'd mentioned Mm -hmm. he'd definitely taken a more conciliatory tone towards Joe Biden, certainly not looking to draw hard contrasts or tear Joe Biden down. And so I think there's a recognition that at this point in time, either – 
either candidate tearing the other down doesn't help. Right. For Joe Biden, he's certainly trying to win Sanders voters over and to give them a reason to vote for him. For Bernie Sanders, he doesn't want to do long-term damage to whoever the nominee is. Mm -hmm. And if there is a coalescing around Biden, then he doesn't want to draw anger and scorn for trying to to tear Tear that down. Yeah. Uh, Eric, do you see this as indicative of sort of Anything about where Washington politics might be going this year? We've got statewide races, local races, at least county-level races coming up. Does this say anything to us, or is it just the way the presidential race is going to go? I think that the, the presidential politics are very different from the local politics. Um, the numbers that I were seeing were the percentage of people who most care about defeating Trump were incredibly high. Mm-hmm. Um in a way that now I'm I, I'm not sure that like Joe Biden is that person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I, I honestly do think that that any of the main candidate Democrats probably will have performed if you could alter, have alternate scenarios would probably do roughly equal to each other. Yeah. Um, maybe one a little bit down or one a little bit up. But I think that they, they'd all do roughly equal. But that seems to be what people are choosing on is, is you know, electability, which mm-hmm. is a it's it can be a, tra- a circular trap. I mean, that's how you end up with old white men. Um, And so but I don't think that that necessarily translates down into local politics. It's possible that, you know, a Sanders uh, there were some some anecdotal evidence that a Sanders nominee could hurt down ballot races Mm -hmm. um, where people Republicans were maybe voting against all Democrats or something like that. I don't know. And we will probably never test that as if things keep going the way they are. But I had heard that there was some thinking along that line. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I think it's entirely distinct from local politics right now. You know, that's really interesting. And and I have heard that same kind of quote, conventional wisdom, unquote, that, you know, Sanders would be damaging. And I, I think you're right that a lot of people are making a calculation on who they think other people will be most likely Mm -hmm. to support, even if it isn't their first choice. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think making that calculation sets up uh, what might be a challenging strategy or challenging situation between the national race and the local races in that Washington supports the policies um, when it comes to Democrats of Sanders more than Biden. And so... When we get to the general election and Biden may be talking about not wanting Medicare for all, which Mm -hmm. has strong support among the Democratic base here, not wanting to engage on some of the issues like, you know, really strongly taking on the banks, really strongly taking Mm -hmm. on, um, you know, the the ultra wealthy Mm -hmm. where people here want some significant change in movement and fundamental change. Mm That message isn't necessarily going to be carried from the top. So is there going to be a tension from some of the Democratic candidates running here versus in the presidential campaign? That's going to be something that we're going to have to see and feel out. And and I think that's a risk that a lot of people don't necessarily factor in when yeah. they think about electability. Yes, across the country, maybe that may be the case, but but that may create a tension around local and national races and candidates having to figure out, do they forcefully talk about what they believe in? Is that going to hurt the presidential chances? Mm -hmm. Does that hurt their chances locally? Because the base is where it is, and it's been pretty clear Mm -hmm. where the Democratic base here stands. So we'll have to see. It it is interesting. I I wonder, at least in terms of Pierce County politics, Mm -hmm. um, Tacoma is, you know, blue city, red county, and Biden slightly overperformed Bernie and Pierce County. I think it was 35% to like 31%. So you didn't see that that narrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that you can see at least in Tacoma and Pierce County that the Democrats who are not in Tacoma were probably more Biden's. We don't have the precinct levels we, to actually say this, but, but I'm making but, some assumptions yeah. here that, that a more moderate Democratic base in Pierce County was tipped that over the more liberal Tacoma Probably, although, I mean, judging by my feed, you know, Warren had still had, I, I still saw yeah. votes for Warren after she withdrew from, oh, yeah. you know, people in my feed who right. who uh, wanted her to have some delegates or, you know, some variety of things like that. So it'll yeah. it'll just be interesting to see um, how, it, how it all shakes out when we actually, I can actually see the precinct level. Well, I think it will be very interesting. The other thing is what we have coming up in April, uh, I think it's the... 24th or the 26th is the um, legislative district Democratic caucuses. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, you know, that's 
That's actually, in political terms now, some time away because we'll have a few more primaries before then. But right. I had been wondering if if we had a close uh, race between Biden and Sanders, if we might see um, people coming into the caucuses trying to be elected as a um, delegate for one party or the other, not really hoping to support that individual, but hoping to get eventually to the convention where they could maybe shift swing it swing it over to um you know their preferred candidate. I don't know that we'll see that kind of you know sort of political gamesmanship going on if there's really a a, a significant difference in delegate votes. The risk of an, of a contested convention I think is behind us. If if you I see agree. it as a risk. I mean yeah. which I did. I saw it as being like a really a divisive a very divisive thing and I, it seems unlikely that we're going to get there at this point. Yeah, I've always viewed that one as very unlikely. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's it's really fashionable to talk about that in the you know, you, you hear It plays local into all the conspiracy ideas yes, and, and it's yeah. you know. The West Wing made it look exciting. Yes. Yeah. And and <laughs> We we seem to get that every cycle now. We right? come up with a scenario where you know a contested convention, but it just hasn't it, happened. It just doesn't shake out like that. Yeah. And and I think that we're going to be so far down the road that there aren't going to be many people trying to really strategize to to make that work mm-hmm. on you know from an organizational level for a campaign. It really does take the campaign coordinating yeah. that. Yeah, and I don't know that there's going to be any of that driven from the top at yeah. that time. I think that. The organization is is taking direction from Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. at this point in time and focused on still talking about his policies, talking about, um, you know, the case for him mm-hmm. and and from the people within the campaign not being so focused on tearing Joe the Biden down, down. Mm-hmm. yeah, and, and creating controversy mm-hmm. and tension anymore. I, yeah. I am glad at this very moment that we had a primary yes, and not a caucus. Not a caucus. Um, I don't know when the caucuses were would would have fallen on the calendar, but you know, think about a caucus at this particular now. point of yeah. you know, in we would have done them in March. It, it, you, we would be at a time where, like, are we caucusing in the middle of a of a possible pandemic? Well, not possible. WHO a now pan- has called yeah, it that, a pandemic. That would be right. a nightmare. That would be a nightmare. Right. And then and then, I mean, just the the level of participation so mm-hmm. much higher now. Which um, I know some people, you know, and Crossing Division had that podcast. Mm-hmm. But um, to my mind, this work this was a really good way to do it for Washington. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. very glad we have mm-hmm. a primary. Caucuses are all bad. They are all bad. Spe- all now, bad now that we've all. seen the Iowa one, just oh man, what a disaster! What a disaster! I want to follow up something that you said, um, Crystal, sort of on the idea of you know, does it make a difference in local races? Maybe not. But the race that I think we might see a little bit of the, you know. Um, Washington versus sort of the Biden ethos might be in the um, 10th congressional district race Mm. because I can see people running both on the we need to be strong to defeat President Trump and, you know, I'm a supporter of whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. is likely to do that as compared with you might see someone who is more along the lines of I'll say a Pramila Jayapal saying it's really important that somebody be there to sort of, you know, speak truth to power and um, and try to, you know, Biden may be the nominee and he may be a little bit less progressive than we would like from the state of Washington. So it's really important to send someone progressive to Washington, D.C. and Congress to help pushing on those issues that are important, you know, the higher minimum wage, health care, you know, you know, yeah changing, you know, some of the tax codes to make them more equitable, looking at relief for, you know, student loans and college expenses, all of those things right. that were so central to the Sanders campaign. Right. And and I think that I think that you bring up a good point. And I think that, you know, like you mentioned, and I agree that in Pierce County overall, I think we'll probably end up going for Biden. Mm-hmm. I think that for most of the counties in the state, we'll end up probably winding up for for Biden with the exception of King County probably, driven by Seattle. But I think that when it comes to the policies that people really care about and, and you know, there's a, there's a tension where a lot of people looked at, yes, I want to be Trump. Mm-hmm. And I think that other people will support Biden. So that's who I'm going to go with. But mm-hmm. I still really care about getting everybody covered with health care. Mm-hmm. I think that issue is going to become very important and prominent given that we're dealing with a pandemic. Right. I think that when it comes to issues of equity and talking about how do we in, in income inequality and looking at the people who get left behind. I mean, in this pandemic is not only a health issue. This is going to turn into an economic problem 
real quick. Immediately. People being affected by, you know, low-wage workers not having work. Are the companies going to be paying them for for taking off for sick leave? Yeah. If they're getting, you know, their shifts are getting cut. I think the issues that that there has been a tension between Bernie and Biden are going to be highlighted that much more because of the pandemic and driven home locally at a level that we have not seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. And so I think people are going to really have to, you know, look at where they, uh, on a local level, do they still want to push for that? And I think that there still is a desire to address those things locally, Mm -hmm. even if we're saying we're going to get whatever Democrat is, whether, you know, even if it's Biden through on a national level. Yeah, yeah. What are some of your thoughts on so here's some of the themes that emerged, I think, um, that that a lot of, uh, you know, sort of political big brains are looking at. One would be the strength of black voters. If black voters coalesce around a candidate, that's like titanium. I mean, that is a significant block that I don't know that we gave as much attention to four years ago. Well, we should certainly should have given much attention to four Obviously. years ago. And yes, <laughs> you know, if you look back at at you know what what I've said publicly and online, it, that was certainly a warning I was giving at that time. You mm-hmm. know, take heed if if this if you are not actively courting this vote, yeah. then it's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. And and when I say actively courting, I don't mean just when it comes time to get a vote. And right. I think that's a you big problem. You don't mean the, the pandering. A- exactly. You mean the solid yes. history of... Our issues matter, and they're not just a couple of issues mm-hmm. that specifically pertain to black people. Mm-hmm. We are affected by everything. Mm-hmm. And so I think what you see is that when you meaningfully address issues and when you meaningfully engage with issues that affect the black community... They're issues that affect everyone to some degree. Oftentimes mm-hmm. they affect people in the black community to a greater degree. And so if you address those, generally things are made better for everyone. And, and you know, when it comes to the Democratic base, yeah, it's a critical, it's a critical constituency in the base. And the problem that I see is that a lot of people are afraid to talk about that. Yeah. And the tension in the Democratic Party between people saying we need to talk about it and then people who are more moderate or centrist mm-hmm. saying – it's troublesome if we talk mm-hmm. about that. No one or wants let's to hear just focus about that. on income issues, right. which, you know, that that seems to have carried through, you know, the media and talking about, well, that's that's divisive mm-hmm. when all available data and polling shows that if you don't talk about it, you hurt yourself more than if you do. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, you know, significant studies. You can look up uh, race class messaging and there's been tons of research and, you know, polling and data around that, that when you talk about race Including white people. You mm-hmm. can't leave white people out. You can never leave white people right, out. But if you talk right. about, you know, issues that affect black people, Latinos, white people, that you score better, that mm-hmm. you, that that people who are persuadable, that moderates and centrists, independents, are more drawn to your message than if you don't talk about that mm-hmm. at all. That and makes that sense, draws, though. Yeah. yeah. It, it absolutely makes sense if you... So if you're saying to people, I exactly. see you, right. I see you, you have specific concerns and issues that you're dealing with that may be different than my concerns and issues, but let's talk about yeah, them. Yeah, but, but they're definitely issues. Yeah. And when we all work together, we can accomplish great mm-hmm. things. Like when we, you know, passed civil, the Civil Rights Act, mm-hmm. when we passed the Voting Rights Act, that took all of us coming together, you know, looking at all of our issues and saying we can make things better for everyone. And we did. And mm-hmm. we can do that again. But just focusing on income and acting like issues affecting race just aren't really important or, you know, they're going to be too controversial and scare away people if mm-hmm. we do that. What really happens is you scare away independents and moderates that you think you're gaining by not talking about it. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be interesting to see how that pans out throughout this election. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the, the interesting thing about that is you hear people on the right talk about race all the time. You know, and so it's it's really kind of unique to the left that they're convinced that addressing racial inequality in a substantive, comprehensive way mm-hmm. is controversial. And maybe people don't want to hear about that. You see the right doing speaking to black people, speaking to Latinos mm-hmm. all the time. We may have our opinions on how genuine and truthful that right. is. But at least they, they're making they an effort. They are certainly making an effort. They always make an effort. And then when people don't and they only allow certain people to, to speak to a group and you're left out, then 
then what do you think is going to happen? Mm -hmm. You're leaving yourself out of a conversation and you don't have the opportunity to contrast with people who you may say are not going to address those issues as effectively as you can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. One of the the earlier themes, too, seemed to be a uh, Latinos are voting for Bernie Sanders, blacks are voting for Joe Biden. And I don't know with these more recent primaries if we see that stark of a breakdown. You know, so from my perspective, being a white person, a white woman, what I see is both of those conglomerates, I think that uh, I think white liberals tend to overestimate the liberalness of those groups, you know, and to assume your issues are just the same as ours with the overlay of race and uh, and other issues. And I'm not sure that's true. I mean, I think that um, a lot of Latino communities are in some ways, um, you know, conservative. You know, I think a lot of people have Catholic backgrounds. A lot of them are small business owners. But on some core issues of certainly equal rights issues, but definitely uh, also the immigration issues, they're not served at all by the Republican Party. Well, you know, I I guess in that, I think when I look at narratives around that at all, and I've certainly heard a number of them, I think that people simplify those, oversimplify mm-hmm. them too much. And I think it also doesn't address the full story to say, those groups may be more conservative. Yeah, I think that's what true. is what is most accurate is that these groups haven't seen substantive change or genuine engagement from either party. Mm-hmm. And that from the Democratic Party perspective, it may be really popular to say, we're obviously better. Look how terrible they right, are. Oh my goodness, right. there's no <laughs> way you could do that. You are totally voting for us. Mm-hmm. When people in communities are saying, yeah, you come here once every four years mm-hmm. and you make a lot of promises and then you disappear. Mm-hmm. And the issues that we're dealing with are issues that we've been dealing with. And even under Democratic administrations that we haven't seen substantive change mm-hmm. from a federal level. So, you know, you talk all this stuff and you say how good you are. But but I don't see that change on the ground. Mm-hmm. And there's a significant segment of the population who... Honestly, you know, and I'm not talking about super, you know, obviously there are people in cages and that is horrible. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, so extremely um, horrible. You know, but, but in a lot of things in day-to-day life, it wasn't like life was fantastic under a Democratic administration either. Right. So I think what a lot of people are saying is I need, I need a reason to care. Mm-hmm. I think when you, when you see disillusion, a lot of people are like, oh, people aren't turning out to vote. How dare they? They just mm-hmm. don't care. Right. I think that people need to look within and say, have we actually given them a reason to believe that if they vote for me, something will change? Mm-hmm. Because those promises have been made a lot and they haven't been followed through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I definitely think that if you have a choice between Democrats and Republicans— I would certainly choose a Democrat. Right. Um, but can I say that for people who haven't voted, that it's strictly because they don't care and that, you know, they mm-hmm. may be more conservative and irresponsible? I can't say that. Mm-hmm. I What I have to look at is have we engaged them in an authentic way? Have we actually brought their voice mm-hmm. and their issues into in the party and said your voice and your perspective is as important as ours and we're valuing it? to the same degree as we value ours. And you can see that in the investments that we make and the time that we speak about issues and where you see us show up and engage, Mm -hmm. that there's still a lot of work to do there. Mm -hmm. Well, Eric, let me ask you, as someone who's run campaigns, you know, who is an elected official, I know this is for the Parks Board, so it's not exactly like running for president. No. No. (laughs) But how, have you found that there's a, that there's a, Attention, a need to sort of break through your comfort zone, if you know, if if that's part of it, and reach out to different communities. And how have you gone about working through that? That's an interesting question. Um, running for office, you you put yourself in many situations that you've never been in before. Mm-hmm. Um, you stand in front of a group of people who may not share your vision. Um, when I was running uh, in 2011, my opponent uh, sought the endorsement of the Republican Party. Mm. And the Pierce County Republican Party. And I was like, I don't want this to turn into an R versus D. Right. And so I also went for their endorsement. 
um, that was really hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like there's, you know, there's a, a guy there. He's like, so you're probably like a stand up tea party. I'm like, no. no. <laughs> um, and then, you know, my wife and I run a small business together mm-hmm. and, and it's like, oh, oh, that's, that's, that's all I needed to hear. Something like that. As it ended up, they decided not to endorse between us, which was the best outcome as far as mm-hmm. I was concerned. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so you end up in those places where you are you are in environments that you had not been in before. Yeah. Um, that could be true for political persuasion, for, you know, in the same way with the black collective standing in front of that group yeah. talking about what am I going to do? It's, it's, it's a new experience. And I think anyone who's running for office and truly trying to serve their community has to put themselves into those scenarios. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And or, is, or they're just connect they're just connecting with their their friends and yeah. that's not gonna win you anything. It is hard. What about the the question now of it, the future of a, a woman running for president? Ooh. I mean, I that's was sort of the takeaway a lot of people had I had certainly from the Michigan results was um, you know, maybe it isn't about policy. Maybe it, it and it, and it may have been personal to um, Hillary Clinton um, that she didn't win the Michigan primary uh, four years ago. But I also sort of wonder, you know, or is it just that there are still large groups of people who are not comfortable with the idea of a woman in that role? I think you could have said after 2016 that things were specific to Hillary. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you can say that now. Because of the Elizabeth Warren. Because of how, okay. how she performed i now she had certain missteps that i think you could say well if she hadn't done this if she hadn't done this i don't think but i i really do think that if 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 you gender swapped her she would have done significantly better Mm -hmm. than than she did that that's my assessment i also know many younger women who um who who were afraid of her getting it almost because they didn't want to go through the pain of mm-hmm. her losing and then of like just demonstrating twice in Once four again. years that that this I mean they they were voting for her in the primaries mm-hmm. but were terrified of that pain and then again felt it when she withdrew mm-hmm. and so I I I I mean I do think you have to lay a lot of the blame for why she did not do as well on sexism that's yeah. my view what do you think Crystal. There's clearly a different, a different bar for women and men. I think you can look at both Warren and Klobuchar mm-hmm, and see mm-hmm. that that the standard was different for both of them, and that no matter what the women do, you know, I, like I, I after the debate where she eviscerated Bloomberg, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people were like, where was this Warren before? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you had already told her that she was True. too aggressive yeah. before. She was there before, but but you didn't like who she was going after at the time. So then she was too aggressive, mm-hmm. too shrill, too angry, too this, too that, too, you know, it's always too something that magically doesn't apply to the men. Mm-hmm. And the scrutiny of policies, the scrutiny of where they choose to spend their time, the background, you know, exploring was she actually really preg- like pregnant at this time, you know, as if we mm-hmm. all aren't intimately familiar with the issue of pregnancy discrimination still being a real thing yeah. today, mm-hmm. let alone back when you like that. Right. That was commonplace. It's laughable right. to think that that wasn't an issue at that mm-hmm. time. Um, but the scrutiny surrounding that. So I, I think that, you know, a lot of before people, you know, it was just Hillary, but it seems to be just Hillary and just Amy and just Elizabeth and just, you know, every single woman who is there and magically just not with the men. So it's it's clearly an issue. And and that does go the other way. I do remember Klobuchar saying during the debate, you know, that if, if a woman had the same resume as Pete Buttigieg, there's no way she Absolutely would she would be not. this far. And and I, you know, I was in, I admired Pete Buttigieg's mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, um audacity to like try it was to do audacious this like, like, to like, and, decide i've been the mayor of south bend right and and i'm gonna do this i'm ready and, and he has a fascinating background mm-hmm. um and like there was a lot of interesting things about him but those same interesting things about a woman he she just would not no. have been on that same stage no. unfortunately no i couldn't get past the fact that south bend had fewer people in it than tacoma well and, i mean, I mean it, so being the mayor of south bend to me was like that's like less demanding than being the mayor of Tacoma. I mean, that's not you're not ready yet. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, if if a woman 
If a black person had been in his place, they would have been highly scrutinized and questioned whether they were ready to run for governor, let alone president. Absolutely. Um, and the there were groups who were negatively impacted by his policies in South Bend. And that was never the scrutiny for that was was very it didn't light. appear until yeah. late. It came very late. Despite yeah. groups, you know, raising their hand and saying, hey, we are here. Yeah. Listen to us the entire time. People just found it really easy to gloss over that. Yeah. Um, I think it was great to have someone from the LGBT community running. Yes. I think that was that was meaningful and important to be able to see two same um, gender spouses on the stage mm -hmm. and have that be great and normal and accepted. But the policies that were attached to it and the scrutiny that was not attached to it were very telling in terms of, you know, who gets more of a pass and who doesn't in terms of men and women. And yeah. his age, I will say. It, it was a refreshing yeah. to not have someone who was in their 70s. Yes. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things that I am really, I am disappointed by and was disappointed weeks ago that all of the remaining candidates were 70 and up. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's, I thought that with Obama that we had kind of like gotten over the, you know, the next generation was taking over and it does not mm -hmm. seem like it. No. Well, let, uh, let's take a break here and we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about that and sort of the process that led up to these primaries and whether that was part of the reason why we weeded out all of our people of color and all of our people who were under 60. But so end up with the billionaire. Yeah. We'll stop and take a break. Hi, I'm Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, We Art Tacoma. And I've been a member of TAPCO Credit Union since I was a kid, really. My parents set up a savings account for me, and I've had that account with them ever since. In fact, my first credit card wasn't from a big bank, it was from TAPCO, and I still have that too. What I appreciate about TAPCO is they are intensely local. Just like Channel 253, TAPCO keeps its focus on Tacoma and Pierce County. They have easy-to-reach branches and ATMs in the Tacoma area, and when I don't want to drive, I just use their online or mobile banking. To this day, TAPCO helps parents teach kids good savings habits. The Moolah Kids Club teaches kids about savings, not only through interest on their money, but with special prizes and discounts at local attractions. So if you want to help your kids start a savings account the same way my parents did, check out our local credit union at tapcocu.org. My thanks to TAPCO for their support of this podcast and Channel 253. Okay, we're back. Uh, before we get talking a little bit more about presidential politics and pandemic news, uh, if you are not a Channel 253 member, you should be. It is only $4 a month. It is a heck of a bargain. And you get all kinds of insider perks if you join. So you should join. And Crystal just told me she's a 253 member. So am I. I am. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a proud member. Exactly. Thank, thank so you. join the club. So let's get back. We were talking about um, some of the process, some of the people who were in the race earlier who, who have dropped out or, um, you know, now have gone through a couple of primaries and dropped out. But one of the things that struck me was we started out with a pretty nice variety of individuals in this race. Um, and I'm with you, Eric. I mean, I really want to see people who are sort of in the um, 45 to 60-year-old range leading our country. It's time for that. You know, that is the appropriate age. That is the appropriate experience level um, to be making these grand policy decisions and, and taking on leadership roles. And it just hasn't really happened, at least for the pre well presidential. But, you know, look at some of our, of our Senate leaders. Look at, um, you know, the ones, whether you like them or don't like them, they're much, much older than, you know, the, the mainstream. And they're people who they went into their positions when they were in the, you know, 40 to 50 to, to 60 year old range. They've just been there ever since, you know. So was part of the problem the process? I mean, it seemed like we had a hell of a lot of debates for no particular reason. So the people had to raise a lot of money really early. And we lost all of our diversity. We lost our, our younger people, you know, younger if they're in their 50s. Yeah. The the I like in general the idea that um, 
that not everyone votes at the same time, you know, that not every 50, 50 states of Democrats vote at the same time. That, yeah. But the the proposal that I heard that I thought was both more likely than others, but st- was to have Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada go first all together on the same day. Because they're sort of a, a good representative the, sample. It's a, it's a representative sample of all sorts of different diverse communities. It's all geographically diverse. Those are the early states. And then maybe you you get, again, all of these states even closer together because mm-hmm. there's still, I mean, there, there's people who are not voting till late May in some of these states. Like, like yeah. get everyone closer together. Um, but if you're going to have some early states, make sure that they're more diverse. I've also heard the suggestion um, to start, start alternating, you know, figure out, uh, like it was like, well, wherever we, uh, wherever Democrats had the narrowest loss in the previous presidential election, they go first or something hmm. like so. So like like the people who are the most swingiest vote, you know, some interesting ideas like that. So it's like sort of a March Madness. Almost, you know, like yeah. like, like if, <laughs> pick if, your categories. Your you know, brackets. if Florida was the narrowest one in mm-hmm. in two thousand, then in two thousand four, we want to hear who Florida want. Hmm. Something like that. That's I don't see that there's any way that that's practical, mm-hmm. but I could see that you could keep those early states early and just make them all early on the same day. So mm-hmm. I've heard some interesting ideas, and based on how Iowa went, it seems like we could actually implement something like that because I think that the Democratic Party is actually willing to consider new ideas now. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Crystal? I think more states should be early. Mm-hmm. I think it should be more than four states. I think that we should have a Super Tuesday like slate to start off with instead well, you could of do like ten then be in the middle. Yeah, ten, ten, I, ten. Or something right. Mm. I'm hesitant to. I I think having shifting or alternating states could be counterproductive. Routine is our friend when it comes mm. to turnout and voting um, and and helping to, you know, just that regularity where people don't have to remember some new thing because yeah. you'd be shocked by how many people don't remember some new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, even when it's a presidential campaign mm-hmm. and we think that that's all we hear about, there is a, you know, significant part of the pop portion of the population that doesn't that you know is just not tuned in like that they're they're paying attention to other things in life it's got all kinds and of so, stuff going yeah. On. yeah so the routine helps um, especially in developing regular voters from voters who may be from populations that typically don't vote to the degree that others do but i think that we also have to look at how campaigns are structured mm-hmm. the the influence of big money and power, um, you know, when you look at the the donor base and the people who are funding PACs and, and have the big operations and the apparatus that kind of feed narratives into the media, that demographic looks a lot different than the Democratic base. Hmm. And so I think that we've seen that reflected in when you look at some of the people who've launched with big name consultants and all that kind of stuff and a ton of money. And yet from the base perspective, we're looking at that and going, that's not, that doesn't begin to be viable. Yeah. You know, whether it's a, you know, Deval Patrick or whether it's a Bloomberg or Mm -hmm. whether it's a, you know, you name it, there, there is a segment that feels like someone fits the bill and is electable, but that, from a base perspective, it's a non-starter. Mm-hmm. And and that same base of power also seems to overlook people like uh, Julian Castro or, uh, you know, Kamala Harris mm-hmm. and and find extra reasons why they aren't as, elect- as electable yeah. as others from the very beginning. And mm-hmm. so the narrative starts off and, and they don't treat those candidates as seriously as others. Mm-hmm. I think that's a significant problem that if you – Start if everybody is starting from the same place and presents their ideas and engages with the base. I think that we would see something different than when there's the narrative put on top of them from the beginning, and the coverage differs, and the scrutiny differs, and and you know we end up with what we see. You know, even to the point of then billionaires managing to find their way in halfway through the process. Like when that is possible, yeah. Yet we can't seem to find a way to make the party, the leaders of the party, reflect the base of the party. There's a fundamental problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you guys think about vice presidents? I'll tell you, I I uh, um, said to a friend, I mean, I think back in the fall, 
I don't know, I didn't know who I was going to support or who I would be interested in, but I just sort of thought there might be something amazing. And I was thinking more the visuals of a, um, a Kamala Harris and Joe Biden ticket. I thought they would just look so good together. And she's so wonderful. I think she's wonderful. So what do you think about vice presidential picks for uh, for I, Biden, if it's Biden, or Sanders, if if something changes and it's Sanders? I So two, I mean, two, two saying, years ago, I, yeah. I said on Twitter that the logic of how everything's going with Me Too and just the way mm -hmm. the party's going, that the presidential nominee was going to be Warren, Harris, Gillibrand, or Gillibrand, however mm -hmm. you say it, um, Klobuchar, like, like yeah. I just, I just thought you that thought the, it was a time, it was it, the time it, was it, right. It was, it was going to be a woman. Clearly, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. That said, I still think that that is true for the vice presidency. I think either of those two are going to have intense pressure to pick a woman. In the case of Joe Biden, I think that the governor of Michigan makes a ton of sense. Mm -hmm. I would prefer to see. Elizabeth Warren, because I really like Elizabeth Warren, but I think the governor of Michigan makes a ton of sense if you are trying to both pick a woman and pick someone who might help a key swing state. Hmm. Interesting. What do you think, Crystal? Oh, vice presidential conversations are always <laughs> so interesting. I, I think that they better pick someone who reflects and speaks to the base. Yeah. Someone younger, I would say, I would almost say is required Given, you know, yes. their there's age. not too many other options the other way. <laughs> <Yeah>. I mean, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess that's how we guarantee that <laughs> right. the is younger than the presidential one. Um, yeah, make make this a, a record election for oh, the man. age of the the candidates. Uh -huh. You know, I, I I think that's it. We have nominated whether it's Bernie or Biden. Um, people who speak to a demographic within the base that is shrinking. Yes. Um, and that is moving away from, you know, everyone else is looking for a voice, a meaningful voice, um, and to be reflected. And I think that's going to be important with who they choose. I think that's going to be important for turning the base out in the country mm -hmm. um, and reaching beyond. I mean, you're going to have to pull together a broad coalition um, that goes beyond what either group, you know, what, what Biden had pulled together before the surge and what mm -hmm. Bernie had pulled together. So so they better reach beyond where they've reached before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Well, shall we switch gears and talk pandemic? Pandemic. Because we're all experts, right? Because we're on Twitter. <laughs> you know what? Here's the thing, though. We literally have as much expertise almost as anyone else who's out there giving opinions on this. So why not? I mean, sure. opinions. You know, one thing I will say is I'm very impressed by our state and local public health professionals. Yes. Um, especially having to work around some of the stuff that has or has not been happening on a federal level. I think our state and, you know, county regional officials have been doing an excellent job in how they've been communicating, how thorough and, um, you know, transparent they've been with what we're facing. Mm -hmm. And it's stark. It, this is a very serious situation. The thing that worries me, you know, and this is and this is coming from Twitter, so take with a big grain of salt. But, you know, I I still feel that I'm like I'm not getting the picture that I need to be getting. So the information that I take in, it's sort of like, it's sort of like the flu, but it could get really, really serious, especially if you're in one of the vulnerable groups. So take it seriously, social distance, you know, hand sanitizer, wash your hands all the time, blah, blah, blah. I'm fine with all of that. But then I'll read, uh, yesterday I saw something that was supposedly, you know, from a, a physician in China who had been at the epicenter and it just seemed like people were coming to the hospital and dying a lot more than I would anticipate for uh, even a very serious flu. And so I just – I think one of the things I'm battling is this low-grade just anxiety I, of I don't really feel like what I'm hearing this is and what I'm preparing for is maybe what it really is. I I – 
I don't know if, if comparisons to the flu are, I mean, is it 10 times worse or a hundred times, you know, probably not a hundred times worse, but like, like we don't know a lot of this stuff. And what, what I, what I think is difficult is you have someone like Trump who is only seems to care about the stock market. And mm-hmm. so who is trying to minimize the risk and the, the importance of what's going on. At the same time, you have public health officials who don't want to panic mm-hmm. and, and so – and what you're doing when you're trying to not to start a panic and what you're doing when you only care about the stock market can sometimes seem like they're too close together. Like like, like, like – and trying to tell is this – like what is really going on here? Is mm-hmm. it, And that is I think that where for as much as I respect the local health public officials and trust that they're not, you know, like uh, taking orders from, from Trump or anything like that. Right. There's – this is where you can see Trump – in the picture, even though he's not in this local thing where, you know, like, how does this, you know, are they, are they just have their head in the sand because we haven't closed certain things or we haven't done certain things? Or um, are they really just trying to like not have a, a panic and, you know, and this is all, all you really need to do is wash your hands. My hands are so dry right now. I gotta say <laughs> they are just killing me. But like, like, I think that that's where it's really hard, where you can see the effect of Trump and just how we think about this, mm-hmm. where it just causes doubt in a way where if we had a leader of either party that was just giving out accurate there. information yeah. from the top, from the top, yeah. it, we wouldn't have that cognitive dissonance. So yeah. I, I'm going to push back a little okay. bit on that. And, and I think a big problem is that we have Trump from the top absolutely minimizing that. And I think that what we're seeing is in the face of someone with that kind of a platform saying – it's like the flu, yeah. people are going to work and being fine, you know, most people get over it, is that in the face of that, if we actually, you know, if, if you watch the what our public officials are saying and there was, you know, they're, they're having daily briefings, they're being very stark. I mean, they said mm-hmm. the other day, they said today, this is not the flu. And comparisons to the flu are troubling in that what we're seeing, Inslee said today, it's it's got a fatality rate that's at least 10 times worse than the flu. Yeah, so that is um, significant. Right. And and the symptoms that people are seeing can, you know, people get sick and they're deteriorating more rapidly. They're requiring hospitalization at a higher rate across, you know, and, and not just for higher po- mm-hmm. risk populations, but um, overall, it's requiring hospitalization at a higher rate than the flu. I think that, you know, yes, you have respiratory system, um, symptoms, but it can get bad fast. And, and so really trying to impress upon people that social distancing is important, not just for our own health, but for the health of vulnerable populations and preventing this from spreading. Um, and I think like the conversation that that Public health professionals, like they do this, they study this and and having frank conversations about what goes into the calculation of closing schools. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a briefing about this where they talked about this in depth the other uh, last week, I think it was, where, you know, certainly closing schools is something that they look at. But what they've actually seen historically is that that in and of itself doesn't necessarily contain the spread because when schools were closed um, before that they saw kids congregating in different, you know, Mm -hmm. just they're together, just not at school. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't necessarily reduce the spread. And they're more likely to affect grandparents or or other caretakers. And if kids are home, then that means that they're drawing parents away Mm -hmm. and, you know, they're seeing a higher percentage of healthcare workers who have to be drawn out of the system Mm. at a time of great demand because they have to take care of their kids or public safety people. And so just recognizing that it does have an impact beyond the kids there at school, that that reaches into every area of the community and creates secondary impacts that you have to weigh the the cost and benefit of doing that. Now, today, Inslee told schools to prepare for closure that may happen as soon as in a few days. And talking about things like sometimes that's school is the only place where kids are getting a decent meal. Mm-hmm. Child care considerations are serious and major. We have a lot of people who don't have the luxury to take a day off and watch their kids mm-hmm. or don't have the ability to, you know, find child care space. Is there even child care space? Right. So those kinds of considerations are important and, mm-hmm. and need to be done. But I think that there is also recognition that we're getting to the point that in order to slow the, the spread of this, that we have to take those measures because the 
a major risk of this isn't, you know, in addition to whether people are going to get sick individually, is the strain that this will place on our healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And there is a very real possibility that this spreads to the point that hospital beds are full and they can't take any more, where this exceeds the capacity of our healthcare system. And so that even the people who are sick without this mm-hmm. then can't get adequate care. And yep. so outcomes for everyone yep. get worse. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to supplies for healthcare workers, you know, it just everything in the system being stressed and overburdened. I think that is what we're really trying to prevent now. Um, and flattening and, the curve, yes, isn't that the phrase? Flattening the curve and mm-hmm. getting that word out is hard. Mm-hmm. That That is not a message that I think has penetrated in average households. Um, and I think that they're just getting to the point where they're saying, OK, we have to take drastic measures now mm-hmm. because this this is not getting through. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, one of the, the things that we we need to really over the sev- next several months, it might even take longer to really understand is what went wrong. Was it Trump? Was it something else that al- that stopped the re- the rigorous testing that we should have been doing weeks and weeks ago? Like mm-hmm. to my mind, there, there is. Going that that's like the social distancing really helps and it's been shown to help. But one of the ways that South Korea was able to get ahead of this was you know drive through testing ten thousand people a day um, because then you can do the vector. Then mapping you really know where, where, needs where to be. right test so much that you just you just know like mm-hmm. whether you're symptomatic or not because you can transmit it if you're not symptomatic. Mm-hmm. And we are, we might get there pretty soon because so many of these new labs are coming up. But that's that's weeks ago. And the yeah. new story in the New York Times where, you know, like they, they caught this because they they against the permission of the CDC were testing, yeah. finally caught it. Um, there's going to have to be a lot of really important public health conversations to come out of that. And, and, you know, why were we not able to do this? It might have been Trump. It might have been, you know, the fact that like. These systems are gutted by his lack of appointees. It also just might have been, you know, low-grade bureaucracy. Like, like I don't know, but I think we really do need to figure out the answer to that question eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, we certainly defunded the mechanism, you know, the the team that responds to potential pandemics in the CDC. And, yeah. and that happened a couple of years back. I think that that over time there has been a systemic defunding and deprioritization of public health. Yes. Um, and and then on top of that, the desire to minimize, just like you were talking about. And so we got into a situation where we didn't necessarily have the desire to address it head on. But even if we did, we're no longer in a position to do that. The initial mm-hmm. tests we had were faulty. Um, and then having to get new tests out and that's still far behind the capacity and the conversation of do you know from a federal level is is getting everyone tested really a priority and then even if we did we don't have people covered you know by healthcare. it's expensive Mm -hmm. to see a doctor and get permission and get tested and then take time off and quarantine so we have so many areas that do go beyond trump to, to address to say why are we so vulnerable to this and and just like you said, South Korea is seeing a flattening of cases. China is seeing a flattening of cases. Um, you know, certainly a, a, a an outbreak that was beyond what they initially desired. But it seems like they're at least getting their arms around it. I don't know that we're going to see it took that them, here. It took them. Someone put this in context for me yesterday. From the time it got you know really bad to the time that they were able to start loosening some of the restrictions was two and a half months. Yeah. Um, and is, you know, on the one hand, you could say, well, you know, we knew what we know better than they did at the time what we're dealing with. So can we do better than that? Or the other, you know, fears is that, like, we're not coordinated enough and, and that we'll, we, we will take longer. Like, I don't know. Um, but that's a long time to, to go through this. It is a long time. Yeah. And, and that's another thing that I don't know that 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 message is getting out to people and and because we've heard an alternate message from the very top you know that the the rumor that is not based in fact at all that oh this this is going to be like the flu and be seasonal and when it gets mm-hmm. warmer it's going to go away we which don't there's know that. no there's data no to support absolutely mm-hmm. none and so the looking at the changes that we're having to make in our daily routines and projecting that for months mm-hmm. and even the impact on the healthcare system, we may not see it get extremely stressed for months, mm-hmm. but it still may be coming. And, and people have a harder time 
thinking about things in longer term Mm -hmm. periods and perspectives. So this is definitely a challenge that we're having to deal with, not just from, you know, technical what should be done in order to contain this, but really talking about people's habits and understandings. I still think there's still a ton of people that, you know, well, as other people are catching that, I still need to get to work. I still need to do this. And companies, you know, I still need my employees to come in and mm-hmm. get this done. And we're, that's going to have to fundamentally change. Yeah, I think that's right. So what are you doing, Eric, to um, safeguard yourself and your family? Dry, I, washing I, your hands until they're dry until and cracking. They're, like dry and cracking. Yes, yeah. that's definitely one of them. Um My employer has not, as of this very moment, mandated working from home, Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, KNKX actually does provide a pretty valuable service right now with, you know, getting the word out. And so there's a lot of work to be done, um, but I'm trying to do as much of it from home as I can. And I -hmm. I suspect that that, uh, we're just going to have to, you know, everyone's going to be doing things like that. Um, We have reporters out there who have to be out to do their job. Um, and so if me staying home can make sure that I don't pass it to them or get it from them, you mm-hmm. know, or something like that, like that's a, that's something I can do. It's mm-hmm. a small thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but as Crystal said, not everyone can do that. Not everyone has a job right. that can, can be done that way. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's, you know, we had a week off of what last February, you know, snow, snow right. shut us down for a week and right. everyone freaked out of that. You know, are we ready for two and a half months? Like. It's probably, uh, yeah. I don't know. What about you, Crystal? How's it changing your activities? Uh, Certainly practicing social distancing myself. And then within, you know, campaigns, Mm -hmm. candidate campaigns, issue campaigns, certainly conversations about how that changes, um, you know, kind of immediately to keep, um, you know, staff and campaigns safe and, and and talk about that and figure out workarounds. There's a lot of, of Zoom conference calls mm-hmm. going yeah. on and, and figuring that out from the party perspective. A lot of the legislative district meetings are being canceled and rescheduled. That's yeah. already been happening. And then looking at, okay, do we live stream? Do we have a conference call? How do we address that? So talking through those issues from the campaign and party perspective. And then for my family, I just kind of have, um, you know, because I am – Probably listening to and, you know, have the ability to listen to, you know, public health officials and see what they're saying. Just for my family, just kind of started a group chat. Like, you know, here are the facts. Mm -hmm. Great idea. Um, Don't need to panic. We just Mm -hmm. need to prepare. And really started this probably a month, month and a half ago. Just hearing when it's there, like, hey, Mm -hmm. this is a time to stock up on your medication. Make sure that you have, you know, I have members of my family who, you know, my father is on dialysis. Mm -hmm. And without that, he's going to be in big trouble. It's like those issues where you're relying on something to save your life. You need to, you know, bake in your own resilience. And whether it's because of a power outage or because of snow or because of this pandemic, we are not able to rely on the institutions that we thought we were going to be able to rely on forever. And I actually think that message is harder to get through to older populations that, you know, I think younger people kind of have felt instability more and have an easier time saying, you know, we might, yeah, the power might go out like in California with the fires. We might not be able to count on, you know, our employer to, you know, make sure that our, that we have sick time, like those things that we're just taking care of a lot for our parents' generations Mm -hmm. aren't necessarily there. So, so to get through the Hospitals may be overwhelmed, so we need to have a plan for if you aren't able to get into a hospital and, and you know, just get extra treatment, you know, mm-hmm. or supplies if you run out. Like, what happens if they're not available anywhere else? You need to make sure that you have everything that you need here. Social distancing is a real serious thing and talking mm-hmm. about what that means. Um you know, and we talked through that in my family. So just trying to relay the information because it, you know, it doesn't always make it through the nightly news. It doesn't always make it, you know, they may not have time to read articles or all that kind of stuff. So I think having those conversations in our own families is important. And that's a really good idea. Yeah, I can I can work at home, although I will say I don't think I'm as efficient when I'm working from home. Um, the dishes get done, the table. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so I will do more of that as necessary, but I only work part-time as it is. I have a um, motion hearing on Friday in um, Thursday County Superior Court, and so you'll have all kinds of people gathered there for that. And I sort of look at that and think, 
that's, you know, sort of germ petri dish territory. So we'll see. I think I'll go in with a bottle of hand sanitizer and try to keep my distance. Yeah. Great advice I heard. Uh, you know, I like practical stuff like this mm-hmm. is a, you know, you hear wash your hands, wash your hands. But I think good advice was wash your hands every time you get to somewhere. Mm-hmm. Wash your hands every time you leave. Do yeah. that everywhere in addition to when you use the restroom yeah. and, mm-hmm. you know, before and after you handle food. Um, I think that's good advice. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. The other thing I'll add in before we close out is um, a lot of institutions that help people, especially really vulnerable populations, are having a hard time, too. So I noticed that um, Food Lifeline mm-hmm. is desperately short of food. And funding, I would assume our local emergency food network is the same. So if you do have any ability to reach out and help in your community, uh, you know, 30 bucks can make a big difference to any of these organizations. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think that's it on that positive note. (laughs) (laughs) So um, thank you both for all of your thoughts. This has been very interesting. Not really a feel-good in a lot of ways, but that's okay. We'll get through this. That's okay. You know, we're going to get through it together. And talking about it is how we do that. Mm -hmm. So so we have each other. Absolutely. Very good. All right. That's it for this episode of Crossing Division. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. The Crossing Division podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, Citizen Tacoma, Founders B-Team, We Art Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.